We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Curry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams' sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Paul with the man, the myth, the legend, Norm Hightower. And... Magic Johnny, the first episode in our tour around the league series. Gentlemen, who wants to introduce the guest? Oh, I'll introduce him. We got a Seahawks guy on that we've been that's been on the show several times with us, and I've been on his show as well, Corbin Smith. Corbin, welcome to the show. Glad to have you back. Hey, I'm glad to be back. I always enjoy uh, being on your guys' show. It's a good time. Before we even get into it with Corbin, real quick, I'm going to ask you to head over to iTunes. Uh, we're looking for that five-star review. It always helps us out. helps our charts out. You can also find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Android, Google Play, Player FM, 
I can just keep going. iHeartRadio, and of course, we're on iebeatradio.com on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Okay, Corbin, we're going to go right into this year. The Seahawks offseason, uh, a season of change. What were some of the key changes that you think will help this team next year? You know, it's been a really challenging offseason at first. Obviously, Richard Sherman getting released and then going to the 49ers. That was a little bit better for Seahawks fans to handle. But I think it's a move that really ultimately had to be made. I think that the Seahawks have really went into this offseason believing that they had to move on from some of the players that maybe their egos were just a little bit too big at this point. And it's interesting when they drafted Shaquem Griffin the other day, on the telephone call, Pete Carroll kept mentioning over and over again, stay humble, stay humble. So that's clearly an emphasis for them now. Michael Bennett's gone. Sherman's gone. As far as moves they made that that I think will be a bit surprising, I actually think DJ Fluker is a really good pickup for them. When I was watching film on him, he got a really bad pass protection grade from Pro Football Focus, but I'm not sure exactly where they're getting their numbers from. He was not great necessarily, but he's a absolute mauler in the run game and he's going to be an upgrade at right guard I think even in pass protection they're going to try to get that run game rolling he's going to be a big part of that so I really liked that signing and I'm intrigued with Barkevius Mingo he's bounced around quite a bit since he came into the league and and it was really a not a very expensive opportunity for them to try to find somebody to fill that Sam linebacker role uh, two years six million dollars and if they can find a way they love those long athletic guys like Mingo he hasn't been able to quite figure it out in the league but maybe Pete Carroll a creative defensive mind is going to find a way to get something out of him so those two signings I think were decent obviously they didn't spend a ton of money in free agency I think they're planning for the 2019 season to be the year maybe that they go out and get a few guys they're trying to reload with some of the young players they've drafted instead would you say that the Seahawks are in reload mode or rebuild mode I'm going to go reload mode, and that's not being an optimistic Seahawks fan. I think there's still a lot of talent there, and there's some guys that, and Pete Carroll's emphasizes this offseason, there's a few players they've got there they've drafted the last couple seasons that literally have not had an opportunity to get onto the field because they had stars in front of them, and now they're expecting those guys to come in and contribute right away, and I think the secondary is still going to be in good shape. As long as uh, they keep Earl Thomas, this continued chatter about potentially getting traded, I'm done with it at this point. I don't see what the Cowboys could offer now that would justify trading him. And so you got him still back there at uh, free safety. I think that Bradley McDougal did a really nice job when he came in for Cam Chancellor last year as a strong safety. So those two guys are good. Uh, Shaquille Griffin, I think, is going to take a real big leap this year and be able to take over as that number one guy. So I still think the defense is going to be solid. They're not going to be as good as obviously they were for that four or five year stretch where they were the number one scoring defense every season. But I think that they're going to be able to get some of those young guys in there and contribute. The real question mark is going to be the offense. How do they respond with a guy that you're familiar with in Rams country? Brian Schottenheimer is somebody that I'm willing to give a chance, even though he's really struggled, in my opinion, as an offensive coordinator. I think Russell Wilson's going to be easily the best quarterback he's had to work with as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. So if they can get their ground game going a little bit, find a third receiver behind Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett and figure out who's going to catch the football as a tight end. Uh, they lost Jimmy Graham, so that's a big uh, replacement they got to find. If There's a lot of question marks there, but if the line's playing better, which I expect it's going to, and they can get the run game going, 
I think the offense will be good enough along with the defense that, you know, I think eight or nine wins is probably where they're at at this point. If the offense really clicks, then that could be a team that wins 10 or 11 games again. This team has talent still. There's just obviously a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the football. Johnny? One of the things that definitely has me curious is some of the unknown players on the Seahawks. Um, A lot of the guys that didn't get a lot of coverage last year. uh, Do you see... How many of those players do you see stepping up? Uh, and could you name like a few that might step in and make a name for themselves this season? Well, it's interesting because Earl Thomas didn't get moved. You're not. You're probably not going to see Tedrick Thompson or Delano Hill get into the lineup very much. But they're one injury away now. Those guys were both mid-round draft picks in the safety position last year. So the Seahawks have been proactive trying to bring guys in they could develop that could eventually become replacements. I do think those guys obviously are going to continue being special teams contributors. One name to keep an eye on at the corner position. They did re-sign Byron Maxwell, so I expect he's going to be the number two guy. But uh, DeAndre Elliott is a player at the corner position that the Seahawks have been really high on. He ended up suffering a broken ankle the last preseason game and was put on injured reserve last year. He's a bigger corner. Uh, he showed some signs his rookie year as an undrafted guy that he could come in and play. So I think he's a guy to keep a really close eye on that's kind of been blocked by Sherman, Lane, Shed. All three of those guys are now gone. So the opportunities there to, to get one of those starting spots is an outside corner alongside Shaquille Griffin. So he's a guy I would definitely keep an eye on as well as Thompson and Hill, possibly, depending how the safety position shakes out. I don't expect Thomas is going anywhere. Uh, really, the linebacker spot is also another area. They need to figure out who's going to be that third linebacker in certain situations. I would expect Mingo is going to get the first chance, but... I think Shaquem Griffin's going to find his way on the field, too. So a, a guy that they just draft is going to find a way to get some snaps as well. But if you're going to look at one guy on that defense that hasn't played many snaps, I, I would say DeAndre Elliott's a name that I would keep a really close eye on. I think he has a chance to really make some noise coming off that ankle injury, fully healthy now as one of the corners for the Seahawks. Just want to rewind for a second here. You mentioned the whole thing with Earl Thomas. We're a Rams podcast here, so we're not we, – we, we all – we see the national buzz on – what happened with Earl Thomas and telling the Cowboys locker, hey, come get me. What was the story behind that? Why did he even do that? Why was there ever a reason given? And what is the nature of interest now both ways in terms of him moving there or is this basically dead the water? It's just been such – here's the problem with social media, and you guys I'm sure understand this, <laughs> today's era with social media, that there's just so much stuff out there, and trying to figure out what's real and what's not is almost impossible. And obviously he did really go into the locker room and, and said something to the Cowboys about coming and getting him. You know, he's a Texas guy. He was a Cowboys fan growing up, so obviously there's some connections there. I think there was some frustration boiling over from the way things went last year, even though they won that game in Dallas. There was frustration. Obviously, you guys whipped Seattle the week before. There was just a lot of things going on. I think there were some issues in the locker room, potentially. We don't. We won't know any of that information at this point, probably. But uh, there was just some things going on, so maybe he was looking at, hey, I've only got one year left of my contract after this year in Seattle. I'm going to be 30 years old soon. You know, maybe I want to go to Dallas and finish my career. But I think at the end of the day, and he ended up posting something on his own social media account a couple months ago that he wants to be a Seahawk. He wants to finish his career there. So, again, it all comes down to money. The guy wants to get paid, and he's earned that money. So from his perspective, you know, I think it was probably one of those situations with everything going on around him and with the team that – 
I think he probably just did something before he thought about it. <laughs> and, you know, maybe putting something to Seattle's head. Hey, you guys are going to need to pay me uh, to keep me around. So uh, I think there was some strategy to it as well. I would anticipate now with him not getting traded at the draft that based on the comments Carroll's made, I anticipate in the next month or so that you're going to see a lot of information out about them trying to extend him at this point. You're just not going to get the value for him that you need to get to justify trading him at this point. I'm curious to see where you guys are at as far as looking at the Rams offseason, as far as the moves they made during free agents, you know, with free agents, who they let go, who they brought in as well as the draft, what we'd love to hear what the other teams are saying. Oh, I can tell you right now from, from a Seahawks perspective that what the Rams has done from a talent standpoint is scary. The Rams have really loaded up the few areas that maybe were weaker points. The secondary they've now got with Marcus Peters and, and Aqib Tlaib is outstanding being able to make those moves. And really the scariest thing was adding Indomitian Sue to that defensive line. We already had trouble trying to block Aaron Donald. Now you're going to put Indomitian Sue in there, and that's just going to cause all kinds of problems for any team that they play. I mean, there's not another defensive line that has that talent in the interior. And I'm expecting they're probably going to have Donald play more defensive end with Indomitian Sue uh, being their nose guy from what I've been reading. But it's just a, a scary defensive line. The defensive moves, obviously the offensive side of the ball, Brandon Cooks is a, is a big play threat. I think he's not a, you know, he's he's shown that he's really a, a couple trick pony in the league, but he's really, really good at those couple tricks. So I think he's going to be a nice asset for them for that vertical ball. And, and uh, I actually thought they made a couple of draft picks that were pretty nice. I like the backup running back that they now have out of Tennessee. I think they're going to get good value there with him behind Gurley. So they've done a lot of things that I really like. And I'm sure as you guys have seen that the one narrative is, are they going to be able to keep all those egos in check? That'll be one thing that they'll have to monitor, but talent wise, uh, they are easily the most talented team in the NFC West now. No question. Well, speaking of egos, I would say that Seattle's had a few of those players in there with their defense for the last few years. So I think it can be done. It's just you know, we have a young, hip head coach and, uh, you know, Medicare and daycare. So we got Wade Phillips on the other <laughs> side for the old for the old perspective. So I think you've got all ages covered. You really do. <laughs> I think we'll be all right. Shawnee. Yeah. So now that the draft has passed on, I'm curious, is there is there a certain point that the Seattle Seahawks didn't necessarily cover that you wish they had? What's the overall uh, concern heading into the 2008, uh, 2018 season. I think a lot of people after this draft were wondering why the Seahawks did not address the offensive line earlier than they did. They did not pick an offensive lineman until their fourth and final fifth round choice, Jamarco Jones out of Ohio State, which, by the way, he's one of my favorite offensive line picks they've made in a long time, and they would never have picked this guy with Tom Cable on their staff. They never would have because he didn't have a good combine performance, but he's actually a good football player. He actually can block. He, he knows how to fundamentally uh, block guys. So it's a difference. You know, we're not picking an athletic project and trying to teach you how to block. I think he's a decent enough athlete for what you're asking him to do. But as far as not addressing it earlier, I, I think Seattle looked at it. We didn't have a second and third round pick uh, to start the draft. They wanted to get the best players available to try to help replace Michael Bennett and get the running game going. So I loved the Rashad Penny pick. I had him as my number two running back in this draft class just behind Saquon Barkley. And there are some scouts out there that I've talked to 
that said they actually had him above Saquon Barkley. So I think Seattle got great value with him at 27. I think he's a stud. Uh, Rasheem Green is really raw. He's only 20 years old, though, defensive end. So I liked that pick, too. He's going to fill into that Michael Bennett role over the next few years. I just wouldn't expect too much out of him as a rookie. Maybe he'll surprise some people. And obviously, Shaquem Griffin, I think, is a first-round talent that I don't know how he slipped to the fifth round. When Seattle didn't pick him in the third and then they didn't pick him in the fourth, I thought, there's no way. Somebody else is going to get him. I really wanted him to team up with his brother, and somehow, some way, he ended up slipping to that point. So I think Seattle really addressed the needs they wanted. They got more athletic and younger on defense, filled Michael Bennett's role. They got that number one stud running back that they wanted really badly. And they would said they would have taken him at 18 if they didn't have a trade-down option. That's how much they coveted the running back out of San Diego State. So I think the offensive line thing got overblown. They've done a lot with that group the last couple of years. They've drafted a lot of – they've used a lot of high draft picks, and they traded for Dwayne Brown. So I think it just comes down to can they get more out of the players they've got with better coaching. Cable just – his – whatever he was trying to teach these guys just wasn't working. So hopefully Mike Solari can come in and he can get this group turned around and get them playing like they're capable. I think the group is, is capable of much more than they've shown in the last couple of years. So instead of bringing in new players, let's get the guys we've got and let's actually develop and coach them up this year. Well, just to, just a note on Jones, man, I'm, I'm a Buckeye here and, uh, Jones, you're, you're on the money. He's a player. He knows what he's doing. His technique isn't always great, but he always finds a way to make the block. It's not always pretty, but yeah, he, he does. He, he, he keeps dudes in front of him. He, yeah, and so, I, I really liked the pick. I had him as a late third round grade. And I, that I, was mainly because the athleticism issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that the only question I had with him was, is he going to be a, a student enough of the game to be able to develop the skills he has, develop the actual athletic ability he has, because he's able to do things now with only having, you know, half of the actual skills down. And so just waiting to see what he can do at the pro level that he was not able to do in college. Kind of also moving over to, you know, looking at the NFC West in front of you, the the Rams got better. The 49ers obviously got better. The Cardinals, eh, who knows. But now the Seahawks, are who are the longtime kind of front runners in this division, now have two teams that basically are they're saying, hey, the experts are saying, this, these Rams and Seahawks are going to be competing next couple of years for, for division title. What is the mindset in Seattle right now in terms of being able to deal with that? And really, going back to that game last year that you, we had you on for, how, how did the mindset of the Seahawks change concerning the Rams after losing that game the way they did? Well, I can tell you right now that the home game early in the season against the Rams, I bet that's one of them they've got circled because a lot of these guys have just a bitter taste in their mouth from that game because it was one of those games where Seattle was driving the football the first drive of the game. They were moving the ball downfield, and then the wide receiver, Tanner McAvoy, fumbles, and then it just seemed like a couple bad drops went the other team's way, and then suddenly it just snowballed. It was one of those type of games, and once it got out of control, they weren't going to be able to get back in the football game. But I think they're looking at it as, well, the Rams are clearly the front runner now. We are now being looked as the underdog, which normally Pete Carroll teams covet that. They have not been that for a long time, so – they're going to have that chip on their shoulder. I don't think they're going to be intimidated by the Rams at all. And I definitely think if you talk to the other coaches in the NFC West, too, they would tell you, hey, Seattle's lost a lot, but they also have brought in some guys, and they still have a ton of talent, and they've still got Russell Wilson at quarterback. So I don't think necessarily that this is a playoff team this year because San Francisco's gotten better. You guys obviously have an elite roster, one of the best in the NFL. But 
I don't think it's out of the question that Seattle could contend again to get into a wild card spot either. Some of this might be that uh, sub- addition by subtraction. They got rid of some of those egos, as I mentioned earlier. Jimmy Graham, even though he had 10 touchdowns last year, I'm not sure if the fit ever you know, materialized the way that they envisioned it. It just they tried to make him too much of an all-around tight end, and that wasn't really his game. So, you know, it's a team that I think there's a lot of a lot of what ifs right now. And if everything falls together, there's still a lot of talent. If everything doesn't fall together, it's a team that could win five or six games, maybe. But I don't envision that. I think there's just way too much talent still on both sides of the football for them to be that bad. I think around 500, though, and maybe even a team that with some of the young guys filling in now that. Maybe they start slow, but by the end of the year, their team, nobody wants to play because those guys have gotten some snaps under their belts to go with the veterans they've already got. So I think the outlook is better uh, better in Seattle than what some people are realizing, Uh, but it's definitely not the championship caliber team that they've had the past five, six years there. All right, guys, any last questions for him? No, I think he's done a pretty good job of covering everything. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Corbin, uh, go give a shout-out to our listeners to let them know where they can find you. They can find Legion 12. And also, hey, congratulations on getting the Seahawks wire gig. Oh, yeah, I'm enjoying I'm loving being able to write articles and uh, also still do the podcast. It's been an absolute blast being able to cover the draft and stuff. Uh, so really enjoying it. Thanks. All right, so, folks, give him a follow on Twitter. He's an amazing follow. They're great analysts, very good the fill room. Also, check him out at the Seahawks wire for USA. Again, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Corbin. Yep, thanks for having me, guys. Always appreciate it. Thanks, right, Corbin. See you. Take care, Corbin. All right, so that was an interesting point of view. In hearing him talk about the draft, I was a little bit, you know, a little bit iffy about their draft because just for the very same thing he was talking about, the, the offensive line not getting addressed till later. I do look at Jamarco Jones' pick. I do wish the Rams would have went and got him. What? How are you guys feeling about that? Well, I, I think you remember my statement, and that was I think the Rams had a better first-round pick than uh, than Seattle did. I, I think they, you know, Rashad Penny's a good player, and I don't doubt that, but I don't really see that they have somebody to block for him. And so, to me, I think they could have addressed some other needs first, but maybe they don't care and they're going to let him do his thing the first year and try to build around it next year. That was That was the one big thing that I noticed. What about the point he made about them not having a second and third, so best player available mentality, so on and so forth? Yeah, I'm okay with it. It's just that, you know, it's kind of like buying a a boat and not owning a truck to tow it. I I can't really argue too much on it. Johnny, your thoughts? Well, as far as their draft, I do think the Jones um, selection was was a solid pickup, but I'm kind of with Norm on this one also. Uh, Penny going in the first round, I, I thought that was a bit of a stretch. Uh, not to say that he isn't talented, but considering all the other needs that they had, I don't know if I would have went with Penny in the first round and so early also. He he did kind of downplay the offensive line situation, and, mm, I, you know, they didn't make some moves. Fluker, I'm not completely sold on, to be honest. I, I, I still think that the offensive line is going to be a big concern. And, uh, you know, the fact that they, there wasn't much emphasis in this department, I, I, I think they're going to really, really regret that decision. And, you know, hopefully Russell Wilson uh, can stay healthy this season because, uh, the, the, like you guys said, the NFC West just got a whole lot tougher. Well, looking at the early second round, because the Seahawks picked at the end of the first round, 
the early second round there, the Browns take Austin Corbett. The Giants take Will Hernandez. Both those guys are going to make your team better. Questioning then, I guess, is going to be a scheme. A few picks down is Braden Smith. So the first, you know, three, four out of six picks here now, because James Daniels has taken four out of seven picks. He's taken James Daniels from Iowa. So there were guys there that could have made an impact for them if they if they work scheme wise. What if they don't work scheme wise? What if they don't fit what they're needing? But there is a playmaker there who they believe in. Well, and to get him under contract and get him on the team, I'm sure there is a positive to that. And, you know, maybe they're planning on not having such a great year. First year, you know, laying it out to him. Look, we don't have the line for you yet, but we're going to get it next year. So just do the best you can. That's the kind of conversation I think you're going to hear, even though a coach would probably never say that. That's kind of the gist I'm getting from it. It was interesting him, him kind of having a little bit of negative feelings towards well, Tom Cable. Tom Cable is, is pretty well known for being a very good offensive line coach. So I'm a little surprised to. I'm not. Sure, I'm not saying he's criticizing Tom Cable. More along the lines of he's saying the tenure there wasn't very good. So I'm wondering what happened. Was it Tom Cable didn't do a good job? It was just a, just a bad, a, a bad match, a, a bad matchup in terms of team, the coach, or what? Well, if you look at it too, I mean, think about when the Rams took Todd Gurley. We had a we had a decent offensive line, but we had an offen- we had no offensive coordinator. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of the same situation. And Corbin's a really smart guy, and he's he's a very good analyst, and he knows a lot of foot about football. So I'm going to take his word for it that you know they had a high grade on him for a reason. And if he says the offensive line's a little bit better, I'll take his word for it because you know he seems to have it going on. But I don't think that they're going to do very well against the Rams' front front line this year. Nah, well, to it was, be fair, I don't think anyone will. Yeah, <laughs> true. But, hey, put it this way also, I forget now, him saying that, well, they have that circle on their calendar. Well, you don't think the Rams won't have that circle on their calendar? Yeah, they lost that game, so they're going to have it circled. I mean, that first game of the year, they're going to want to go there, and they're going to want to prove what they, you know, that they, what they did in December wasn't a fluke. So it's going to be a very, very interesting part two. Are, are the Rams in their heads at all? Are they not? It's be very interesting. Okay, so our next guest is about to come on. And but before we do, we want to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsors out there at the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California, 92683. We've said a thousand times, folks, if you are a Rams fan, heck, if you are a football fan, head on out there. Check it out. Sal Martinez opened his shop when the Rams left for St. Louis way back in 1994-95, okay? It's become a shrine to the Rams. It's got everything you can imagine in terms of Rams history. Posters, jerseys, it's just a really great place to visit. You could probably open it as a museum, quite frankly, but no, it's a barbershop. You can go in there, get your hair cut, talk football, not just Rams football, but talk any kind of football. And it's an affordable haircut. You use your promo code RAMSTALK. Um, give them a call at 714-894-7267 and make an appointment. Again, that's the Golden Ram Barbershop at 714-894-7267. All right. So we're getting ready to move on to the 49ers here. Dump, dump, dump. <laughs> Kev, Kevin, you there? I am here. Good to All be with right. you guys. Okay. So, hey, we have this Kevin Molinas from the 49ers Hub. Um, they have the podcast called The Hubcast. And we are going to now pelt... 
Kevin Molina here with all kinds of 49ers questions. Just going to go in there and and talk with him, the arch rival of the Rams for many, many, many years. And it looks like this rivalry is about to be reborn. Kevin, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm pretty good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I was listening to some of the conversation you guys were having with uh, Corbin, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I don't want to start off on bashing the Seahawks here, but there is a bit of that. It feels like they're living off of their reputation more than they're actually living in it in a reality where they're a little bit better than they think they are. I think Does that make any sense? I think that's kind of what we were saying, but in a little nicer way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for me, I mean, if you just look at their track record, when's the last time they had a really good draft? It's been a while. So, yep. so you, you constantly you're you're turning over, and all the all pros and, and significant contributors that you've drafted or signed are all mostly gone, and then you you bring in younger players that you haven't had a great track record with develop drafting and developing. And then you turn over your, most of your, your entire coaching staff and you're expecting them to be a competitive group. It's, it's hard for me to see them being anything more than the fourth place team, this division. And that's even with the best quarterback in the division. Well, I I would sit back and I would think, well, maybe, 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 but we have no idea even about the Cardinals right now, where they are or where they're going. And, and, I, I kind of have to think of it well, you know, he's he's a Corbin is a, a very solid analyst, like Warren was saying, and he's right about one thing. We really haven't seen what their guys with their draft picks in the last couple of years have been able to do for us to even say, well, hey, how good a draft was it? We don't know. We know it wasn't star studded. No, we know that. But we don't know just how good these guys are. If they're ready to step in, he seems to think they are. We'll find out. We're going to find out real quick because the NFC West schedules this year off the chain. And these, yeah. gosh, they are. So, uh, hey, you should probably see about getting on his show or him come on your show. That <laughs> yeah, would be a heck I'm of a actually, debate. I'm actually thinking about inviting him on. That, that would be a heck of a debate. Good, good discussion. He's really good about coming on shows, too. We've, we've been on their show and they've been on our show. So, okay, so getting to the 49ers. This year, this you know, the, the word on the league is the 49ers going to be really good. Solid playoff contender might might be able to you know beat the Rams, take the division. What is your honest assessment of where the 49ers are right now and where they're going to be a year from now? They're a team that's still a year away. And and you think about it, they're you know coming into 2017, they were a two win team, and they earned those two wins. If if you get what I'm saying, they, this is not a good team. This is a roster that needed to be completely overhauled. And there's a kind of gradual progression that teams make when they're overhauling a roster. I mean, the Rams went through it. The Seahawks went through it. And the Niners are going through it. Yeah, I feel like they have the quarterback. They de- I feel like they definitely have the quarterback. But until they that makeup of the entire roster is contender ready, I'm not ready to say they're a playoff contending team. I think this is a team, if all goes well, they'll top out at eight and eight, nine and seven. And that's me tempering expectations because I'm not one to believe that immediately they're going to jump from a five win team to a play, a division winner. It, it doesn't work that way. You need to build your roster. You need to surround your quarterback. You need your program to, to get a couple years in before you're, you're playoff ready. Well, one thing about the 49ers is, it doesn't matter how good they are or how good we are. We always play each other tough. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm probably the old guy in the group, 
since I've been around since the 60s. And this rivalry has been one that, I mean, gosh, I about hung myself several times watching Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. And then it kind of it kind of died off for a while and it kind of became the Seahawks, you know, they're the they're the top team in the league and and now I'm to the point where I'm looking forward to having that 49ers Rams rivalry back. You you guys feel the same way? We definitely are. Given the the fact that the Rams are back in LA, this is going to be the third year in back in LA. You have two teams with, you know, incredibly exciting head coaches with really good offenses with, you know, you guys are significantly better on defense and there's no doubt about that. So that, that challenge, there's a legitimate challenge, you know, to the 49ers. And, and that's the exciting part. It's in the state, you know, it feels like old school NFC West football. And that's that there's a lot of excitement about that amongst the 49ers fans that I talk to on a daily basis. Johnny. Uh, yeah. So the, uh, one of the biggest things that I, I'm kind of wondering, uh, kind of heading into the 2018 season, is how the 49ers are going to fill the void of uh, Carlos Hyde. I know they went and signed uh, McKinnon, which he was a pretty solid signing, but I don't know if he can really match what Carlos Hyde did um, in San Francisco, especially considering how this guy played against the Rams. You know, Carlos Hyde was... One of those guys that you did not want to see him go off on any team. Uh, no, I. Yeah. Sorry, oh, sorry, please go ahead. No, please go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just curious overall. What, uh, what's the whole thought process in replacing Hyde and how, um, how McKinnon will ultimately fit into the offense? You can't replace a talent like Carlos Hyde unless you have a talent that's equal or even better. And to me, you know, McKinnon, Jarrett McKinnon is a really good running back, but he's not on the talent level of a Carlos Hyde. So it's really going to be a scheme base a really by committee like approach. And that's, that fits in exactly into what Kyle Shanahan likes to do. He's not someone that's going to put everything on one running back. So you, you have Jerick McKinnon, you have Matt Breida, who is an undrafted free agent. They brought in last year who played some quality football towards the end of the year. They have Kyle Juszczyk, who is their fullback, who does a lot of the receiving, you know, takes off a lot of receiving for them. So you have it by a committee approach. And then what Kyle Shanahan does and what, I mean, Sean McVay does, and that that's why there's there's so many mirror images between these two organizations right now, is that the intermediate short to intermediate passing game acts as another dimension of the running game. So that's how Kyle Shanahan and his coaching staff are going to be able to mitigate the loss of Carlos Hyde because it, it is a loss because he is a very talented back. And when he was on, he was on. So you, it has to be a by committee, a by scheme approach, and I think that's how they're gonna they're gonna tackle that. Okay, well, first things first, Norm. T- really, just be honest, man. Sixties, really? The sixties? Yeah. You know, for come on, we all know the truth. You were you were one of the guys taking the beach at Normandy for Crant Loud. Okay, just stop <laughs> it with the sixties. All right. Uh, whatever. With your with your decrepit. All right, Kevin. Here's the one thing I want to ask now. We, why in the world? Did the four niners even let Carlos Hyde go? Because you're going to have to pay him. He was asking for a pretty good size extension, and he was just wasn't a scheme fit, or at least that's what Kyle Shannon believes. And and it kind of mirrors what happened with Trent Brown and why they traded him away. If Kyle Shannon doesn't believe you're a scheme fit, doesn't believe in you, 
I, I feel like he has kind of uh, he he removes emotion and kind of attachment to to the person away from this. So he's gonna let a guy walk that he doesn't believe in that doesn't he he doesn't believe is a uh, fit in his scheme. So I think Carlos Hyde, while talented, just wasn't someone that he he truly believed was going to be able to run the brevity of his offense, his entire offense. That's why that's why Todd Gurley, a guy like Todd Gurley. You, you you hold on to you're willing to give that big money extension to because he can do everything carlos high they didn't feel like he could do everything i'm happy to see him go <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got no issues with him leaving either <laughs> what's your assessment on the rams offseason moves this year during free agency as well as you know uh with the draft so we'll take it two by two because the way i feel about the draft is really different than the way i feel about free agency I haven't been always been the biggest less need supporter. And I, I, I feel like a lot of the blame that that uh, Jeff Fisher got should have been given to less need as well. Giving out some of the extensions he gave out to me were really questionable moves. But I got to give him credit where credit's due. He's been able to make really good decisions since Jeff Fisher's departed. And that kind of goes into what you know the decision making was in free agency or even the trade market. I'm not the biggest uh, a key to leave fan. I think he is a product, a byproduct of the front seven, which is definitely going to help him with the Rams. And definitely being back with West, uh, Wade Phillips is definitely going to help him. But I'm not so much, you know, frightened by that move. It's the Marcus Peters move that to me is kind of the home run, home run kind of move that you guys made all offseason. Because Indomitian Sue is over 30. Akita Talib is over 30. So those are short-term moves. It's the Marcus Peters move that was that that had me like, whoa, that is something significant, not just in the short term, but in the long term. You guys have him on that fifth-year option. So you guys have two years at a very affordable rate. And then by the time you get to, what, 2019 – you, you you know the cap continues to go up, so you're able to give him that high value contract that he's looking for, and he's only going to be I think 27 years old when that happens. So to me, that's the the big move that you hold your hand on. But to me, when I was looking at some of the moves, it's a really kind of push your your you know your chips into the table for for the now, while at the same time knowing that some of those chips are going to be there long term, which is you know I thought was really impressive on their part. What did you think of the Rams draft? I know that we didn't have a real sexy draft because we didn't have a first and second round pick, but what did you think of how they did and, and where they went? Well, I mean, it's hard to do when you only have one, what, I think it was one pick on day two and then 10 picks on day three. I think that's how it was. Yeah. Uh, jo- uh, uh, Joseph Noteboom, I, I, I thought he was more talent upside than actual production, but you guys have you know, two tackles right now that you can, you know, you can have there at a steady, as a steadying presence while you guys develop him. I'm not the biggest Brian Allen fan. I think he's kind of a poor man's John Sullivan, if that makes any sense. So I, I think, you know, if he eventually is his, his replacement, I don't think it's going to be an upgrade or even just the same level. Cause I, I do think highly of Sullivan. Cause I think he's a, a really smart steadying force along the offensive line. So that's a good move. My favorite move is, is uh, ok- Okoronku. Just the ability to get him at that deep into the draft. And look, he's not going to he's not going to to hit all the athletic measurables that you want from an edge rusher. But you're telling me that Wade Phillips doesn't know how to use a pass rusher? He's going to find a role for him along that defensive line. He's going to benefit so much by the talent around him. 
Uh, the other one, Micah Kaiser. I, I think he's probably already your best linebacker. And that's not that's not you know speaking ill of what you guys have already. It's just I'm a really big fan of Mike Kaiser. I thought he was a really good you know undervalued linebacker prospect coming out. Yeah, I think those two, Okoronku and uh, and Kaiser, were by far our two best picks in the draft. And also they filled the need definitely that we had on the team. So uh, thanks thanks for that opinion. We appreciate it. Johnny, what you got? So as far as the 49ers are concerned. You know, they they are a young and up-and-coming team, I feel. Uh, you know, Garoppolo being the quarterback now. My my question is, is there a certain uh, concern that the 49ers have going into the 2018 season, something that they're nervous about, you know, kind of scouting for the Rams, just so you know? They, they might not say it publicly, but I do feel like edge rusher would be the, the biggest source of contention. I know it was a really big kind of issue for 49ers fans coming into the draft. They wanted us to address the edge the edge position. It, it's going to have to be by committee this year. It's going to have to be mainly on the, on the backs of the interior rushers, Solomon Thomas, DeForest Buckner, and Eric Armstead. That's going to be, the, the, be the primary source of pass rush for the team. And then, you know, the guys around them, you know, they brought in Jeremiah Tachu from the Chargers. So their scheme knowledge there, they they had brought in Cassius Marsh, who, you know, used to be in Seattle. So he knows the scheme and they have Eli Harold, who's more of a at this point in his career, he's more of a base down Sam linebacker. I know they talked about putting him, giving him the opportunity to rush the passer, but I just don't see it. I think he is at best just going to be in that role as base as a base down Sam. That's going to be their biggest source of contention. I know some will point to the guard position, and that's incredibly important given, you know, the two monsters that you have, you know, in Donald and in Dominican Sue. But it's going to be – that's going to have to be by committee, and they're hoping that, you know, by adding Michelinci, by adding Weston Richburg, which was, you know, a tremendous signing on the on the part of, of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch because they view him to be a younger version of Alex Mack. So that's a big thing. And then you have a really steady kind of top tier, you know, left tackle and Joe Staley. So it's going it, to that the offensive guard spot is going to be kind of masked a little by the, the talent around them. But it's mainly going to be edge. That's the biggest source of concern going into the season. And it's going to be it's going to have to be by committee. All right. So when you're talking about the edge, why wasn't it not? Why was it something that wasn't entirely addressed in the draft then? What's so, the word on that? Yeah, so there's there's been kind of uh, rumors here and there and comments here and there that they didn't really value the class as high as some others did. I mean, coming into into the draft, and I'm sure you guys heard it as well that it wasn't the best edge group. I mean, only two edge players went in the in the first round, and one of them. I'm not the biggest Marcus Davenport fan. I think once if you're able to to handle his strength, he's you know you pretty much shut him down. And Chubb went five. So other than that, there wasn't really a lot of value. I know myself, I'm a really big Harold Landry fan, but it's kind of scary that he dropped the guy so productive and the guy that hit so many of the measurables fell to 41. So there's got to be some reason why that happened. Other than that, there wasn't really an edge that they, they seemed to value. So I, I feel like they kind of kicked the can down the road knowing that if they didn't believe in a guy, it's not worth drafting just because it's a need. Then they made the call to go get McGlinchey first and so on yeah. and so forth and even draft a guy who basically tore his ACL just a few weeks ago. Yeah, that's that's kind of the 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 weird pick of the entire draft. Everyone kind of it, it brought back flashbacks to Trent Balky, who used to be the general manager here. 
who who you know took a, a kind of a special liking to guys that torn you know tore their ACL. Um, their their rationale was that you know they know the history, but they're not going to be scared off by by a prospect they really like. And it's weird if you look at his skill set if you watch his tape, the the big end position which is basically the five tech in this defense. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of people talk about there being similarities between the defense of the 49ers run and similarities to what you guys run with the Rams. There are similarities. And that big end position, which is more of a kind of stack position, it's more of a run defense position where you're holding the edge. That's what they view uh, Contavious Street as long term. So that's they're viewing him as, you know, from the tea leaves that I've been able to read as Eric Armstead's long term replacement. So that's why they took him, even though a guy like Josh Wett was still on the board and he went a couple picks later to the to the Eagles. Yeah, I was pretty high on Josh Sweat. You know, it's really tough for me to be a Rams fan because I also covered the Oregon Ducks for a long time, and I've interviewed, mm. I've interviewed both their defensive linemen and, and liked them both a lot. And so it's, it's hard for me not to root for them, even though they're on the, the rival team. But if you, were to, if you were to look at the matchups in the NFC West right now, as well as the schedule that you have, where do you think you're going to end up into the year? In terms of ranking or in terms of win-loss record? Win-loss. I, I still think anywhere between seven and nine wins is probably going to be their, their high end. Like high end, I think seven, probably low end, uh, or high end nine, low end seven or eight. I'm really surprised at that. Yeah, I, I really I, am. I actually am too. I, I kind of, I, I think we value you guys a little bit more than you guys do. Well, I mean, I know if you talk to a lot of 49er fans, they're they're ready for for a playoff kind of they're ready for a championship parade. And I think there there is a gradual process. You can't, you know, teams are opposing defenses around the league are going to adjust to Garoppolo. They're going to try to take away the short to intermediate game. And it's on Garoppolo and it's on Kyle Shanahan to adjust. So for me, I'm not ready to to just crown them as champions until they prove that they can adjust to what other defenses are going to throw at them. And when you have a team that is, is, has a significantly better roster than you, it's hard for me to say that they're, 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 you know, to write them in as a division champion or a playoff team. And, and plus they play, you know, two really strong divisions in the AFC West and the NFC North, you know, there's some really strong teams in those two divisions. So I'm trying to temper expectations and not jump to the conclusion that just because you have Garoppolo in year two, just because you have Shanahan in year two, that automatically means that they're going to be in the playoffs. Johnny, any final thoughts? Any final questions for Kevin here? Uh, just one. Uh, I, I'm kind of with uh, Norm and Derek on this one. I do think that the 49ers might shock a few people. Um Will the playoff run happen? That that's going to be, I mean, that's debatable, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happened. But in this case, uh, in your honest opinion, what's kind of the 49ers X factor in terms of their their secretive player that or players, if you have, um, that will shock the the NFL when they hit the field? Uh, you know, I mean, obviously you have your impact players already. But is there a couple of players that uh, might come onto the scene and surprise so, uh, some people? Well, for one, the their third-round linebacker, Fred Warner. I'm a huge Fred Warner fan, and I think he's the kind of linebacker in today's NFL that is really productive. He played a lot of uh, slot overhang, 
at BYU. So they had him as a 6'3", 263-pound linebacker, you know, in the slot against tight ends, against big wide receivers. So I think his athleticism, his speed is going to be really dynamic. I think that's that's why you saw, if you look, you know, over their draft, they picked a lot of kind of intermediate defenders. So you picked a slot linebacker, you picked a couple safeties, you picked a, a linebacker who's a really in good, really good in coverage. I think their plan was to get better in the middle of the field, which combats what a lot of what the Rams are doing and what I'm sure a lot of what the Cardinals will do with Fitzgerald and, and Christian Kirk. And they're going to do a lot of their damage in the middle of the field. So I think the 49ers tried to counter that you know, now instead of waiting for them to see what it's going to be like, Fred Warner would be one for me. And I think George Kittle, I, I, I think, you know, a lot of people going in talked about how tight end was in need. I think they're really high on George Kittle as kind of being kind of taking that next step. I think he was the second most productive tight end in the entire class. And it was a really well-regarded class coming into the season. So when you have a guy like George Kittle, who, who you saw that rapport with Garoppolo, I think, you, he, you know, those are going to be the two breakout stars on offense and defense. All right. Well, hey, Kevin, we want to thank you for coming on. Folks, if you want if you want to be able to follow Kevin, follow Kevin A. Molina on Twitter. Also, check out, if you want a little bit behind the uh, Enemy Lions podcast in there, he's on the Hubcast podcast. And I, I'm looking around. I see you guys in SoundCloud. Where else can we find you guys? For your podcast. Yeah, we're on iTunes. Uh, we're thinking about moving over to Block Talk Radio, which is going to be a really nice feature. So we're going to have people be able to call in. Um, yeah, we're on Stitcher. We're on any kind of podcast listening program. Okay, and also their website overall is, is 49ers Hub. That's, all, that's at the – I believe it's 49ershub.com. I just had it up. Yes, the 49ershub.com. So, again, Kevin, thanks for coming on. We hope you come on again, and, and maybe just maybe you, you might be able to convince the old guy – in the room, you know, the 95,000-year-old Norm Hightower on the show to uh, give him some of his expert analysis as well over there. Oh, then we would love that. Anytime you guys want us to come on, all you got to do is shoot us an email, and we'll definitely be on with you guys. All right. Again, everybody, Kevin Molina from uh, 49ers Hub from the Hubcast podcast. Uh, check him out. Check him out there. Good conversation here with Kevin. All right, guys. So Thanks, you heard Kevin. what he had to say. Oh, you guys have a good night. You too. You, had, you heard what he had to say. Uh, how are you feeling about the 49ers? I'm, I'm surprised that that analysis a little bit. I thought, you know, it would be a little bit higher. It's a kind of a different feel for it. He's the Seahawks. You know, we, we kind of felt like maybe Corbin was being a bit, uh, a little too positive about the aspects of Seattle for next year. And it kind of, Kevin was a little bit more down to earth that, uh, how are you, you, how do you view things, uh, getting both their sides, especially for Kevin here? Oh, I definitely think that the 49ers are going to be the bigger threat to the Rams this year than the Seahawks. You don't see the Rams beating the 49ers 50-something to nothing. That doesn't happen. Uh, is, has it ever happened, Derek? You're the history guy. Uh, the last time the Rams beat up on the 49ers, uh, I'm going to go back to 1999, 42-20. Yeah. They've, had some, they've, they, they've beaten them a few times here and there during the greatest show on turf era, but that 42-20 game was the game where the Rams actually established the fact that they were a Super Bowl threat and that the 49ers were going to have to reload. Yeah, but that's nothing like the Seahawks, you know, win that we had at, at Seattle last year. No, so. never. We've never had a game like that. Matter of fact, the 49ers in, in the uh, the almost 20 years now since that 42-20 game have had their, their dominating wins against us where we haven't really had any. Right. I think the other game in 1999 was 23-7. 
in 2000, the games were competitive. 2001, the games were fairly competitive. So, but the 49ers games just a couple of years ago, 28 nothing at that home opener. So, um, their home opener, the first game for the Rams as the LA Rams officially. You guys remember that we were all pretty ticked off at that game. Yeah. So, no, that's what I'm saying. The, the 49ers always play us tough, and. You know, we, we know that they have a talented roster and, you know, sure they let Carlos Hyde go and they've got a few holes. Uh, but I agree with them in the sense that I don't think they're going to be quite ready this year, but next year I think they're going to be real tough. But it, when it comes to playing us, you know, I don't – seven to nine record or, you know, whatever, that doesn't mean anything to me. It's when we play the 49ers, they always play us tough. And I, I think they're better than what he's, what he's saying and – and, you know, I can appreciate that he's being humble about it, but I, I can see the 49ers being a problem for us for the next, you know, probably like the old days, we're probably going to be rivals again for quite a long time. Johnny? So, actually, let me let me add to that. Uh, going back to the 28 nothing opener against the 49ers uh, a couple of years ago, there is nothing more demoralizing when you come into work the following day and you have to face your coworkers who aren't even fans of football say, hey, the Rams suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was that was awful. That that was. Yeah, let, let's forget about that. So, um, yeah, the, as far as the 49ers are concerned, they are the team to beat in the NFC West that aren't the Rams. You know, the, the Seahawks, I'm not going to say that they're. They're a terrible team because I, you know, I, I do think there is a chance that they're gonna surprise the league, you know, a little bit. But to say that they're kind of at the same pace as the Rams at the moment, I, I don't know if I buy that. Obviously, the same thing with the Cardinals. The Cardinals are gonna probably be dead last in the division. Uh, but on um, on top of everything, you know, the 49ers are gonna be uh, the team to beat. You know, I, I do believe in John, um, on uh, Garoppolo. I, I do think he will. Uh, I think he, he's going to be the spark for this team. You know, uh, and they are an up and coming team. I I do kind of agree with them that they might be a year from what a year away from being like serious playoff contenders. But this this is going to be an interesting team to watch. I will say that much. The rivalry is going to be reignited, and it basically stems back to you know. Shanahan versus uh, McVay. Well, a couple of things to what you're saying there. I don't think Corbin really said that. Hey, they're gonna they're gonna be awesome or anything. He was saying nine and seven, seven and nine kind of deal. He he thought that they're any better than people think they are. I don't know what people really think they are. I don't think they're awful. I don't think they're four and twelve. No, I don't think they're that. I don't. The Cardinals will be four and twelve. The Cardinals still have a lot of have a solid core of players there. Some are aging. And they have an offensive line effects, which we don't know if they really have. But the 49ers, to me, what's really going to be fascinating about them is the way they finished last year, winning those five games in a row, finishing 6-10. and 10, All of a sudden, they're darlings of the league. Uh, I think it was Carlos Hyde. Remind me if I'm wrong. But I think it was Carlos Hyde who actually said this team's going to the Super Bowl next year. That's, you know, so immediately those expectations are being set with within minutes of them beating the Rams second and third teamers on New Year's Eve. So I'm wondering how that young 49ers team with a, a first time, a full starting quarterback, this is where now 
Garoppolo's taken over full-time. This is his team now. It's all year, all 16 games. How will they handle that set of expectations when they haven't done it yet? Does that make sense? That's what I'm wondering. Well, essentially, they're in the same place that the Rams were when, you know, two years ago when Gurley took over at the end of the season. You don't know what to expect now the next year. Uh, what kind of year two are they going to have? And are they going to be able to take command of the team? I, I think they'll be fine, just like we ended up turning out being okay. And I certainly think that they're going to be a contender. And, and honestly, they're the team that I am a little bit always skeptical to just write off. And they're, they're certainly not a write-off team. They're, they've got enough talent on that team with the new coaches and, and the new talent that they've brought in that they're going to be tough to, tough to beat no matter who's playing them. And, you know, we play the same divisions that they do, so we're going to face a lot of those same teams. And I'm sure, you know, if, if, uh, if they play the Eagles before us or if we play the Eagles before them, I'm sure we're going to be watching that film to see how Garoppolo or how they're going to look and see how Goff did and how the offense ran. Because I think they're going to be very similar to the Rams in that respect. That's why, that's why to me, they're, they're the team to beat in our division next to us uh, right now I think you know as as it was stated earlier we're in win mode now and you know I think Corbin said we've pushed all our chips in we're definitely you know this year and next year are is our window and uh, hopefully we can we can dominate well and that's always a scary question too you know can you these teams these essentially these super teams get built up can they do it we've seen it happen and sometimes we've seen those teams. I remember the Redskins when they went out and got Deion Sanders and all those guys. And, and next was a 2000. And they were thought to be, hey, this is going to be them. They're going to be great. And it never happened. It just never happened. And you know, we had egos. You had all those other different problems and so on and so forth. And we, we can say pretty confidently that it's not going to happen. But we really don't know, do we? We can't say for sure. You never know. We didn't expect the Rams to do as well as they did last year. I mean, sure, Johnny and I predicted them. Johnny was more on the money than I was, but we both predicted them to have a you know more than ten wins last year, and you were still skeptical. And look what happened. So we're expecting them now, with having more talent, to take that next step and go even further. And you know, if it doesn't happen, it'll be a disappointment for sure. And you would expect it to happen, but like you said, sometimes these things don't work out, so we'll have to see. That was just my magic at work, by the way. Oh, oh is, that, is, that, is, that, is that why you got the name Magic Johnny now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but to add to that, uh, yes, the to say that we put all our chips in for this year and possibly even next year, uh, yes and no. Uh, here's the thing. This is a superstar team, a star-studded team, and yeah, I mean, no matter how many good players or what you think is good players being loaded up on one team happens, you never quite know uh, what's going to happen in the end. It's the NFL. That said, I think the real victory overall for the Rams during this offseason wasn't necessarily just signing these players. Yes, the players are great, but it's also... Understanding that the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, 
are the destination team. This is going to be the team that free agents, that draft picks, anybody is going to want to come to. And ultimately, that was the major victory here. And, I, you know, I think it's going to be a good sign for future seasons. Well, especially when they get that stadium done. Oh, that's another thing, yeah. I, I'm still going to be – I'm not trying to be the, the Debbie Downer here. But yeah, you are. You're always, just, you're always that way. I'm going to be the, the, the pessimist a little bit here and say I'm going to be careful in making that conclusion because we can go to quote-unquote America's team building Jerry, Jerry Land out there and oh, look at them. I mean, they're okay. They're good sometimes, and you know sometimes they fall flat. Um, it's more than that. It's building a good football team, and right now I think they are. They're, they have a, a good football team with good guys who in, in leadership positions. The question is, when these short-term contracts come up and you're about to pay all these money, less money out to Jared Goff and, and Todd Gurley, can they still make the contracts worth work? In the end, they're going to attract players, like you're saying, but we're going to see real quickly how Les Snead and Sean McVay make their magic work with contracts moving forward. Are we, are, is Les Snead going to learn from his mistakes with these extensions and be more on point with how he dishes out his money? If that happens, then everything you're talking about, is, it's going to be just what we're thinking. It's going to be a team that is a consistent contender. If not, then this could be another greatest show on turf era where it's over before we even realize it. Well, and I, well, guess, I guess you have to say San Diego's now at San Diego slash now LA is a destination team as well. Then no. Well, no. I, I know, I know that we all hate, I know that we're all not happy about that situation, but they're going to be playing in the same stadium and they are the LA chargers now. So, I mean, honestly, some of that stuff is going to come into play for them too. The Chargers are the Clippers of the NFL. <laughs> well, the one thing I think it hurts the Chargers, too, is their mentality has been different. The Rams came in. They got flashy. They got bold. The Chargers have not been flashy and bold. And so the, the flashiest thing the Chargers did was just starting up that whole battle for L.A. thing. And then it really kind of fell flat because they did nothing with it. They did nothing flashy. They're not doing anything to try and win over the city. You know, the Rams are doing what the Rams need to do to go out there now and try to win that city over. They're, they are actively doing what it takes to be a contender. I think I mentioned this uh, last year when I said that the biggest threat to L.A. is still the Oakland Raiders. I still stand by that statement. Well, that it's, I, I don't think there'll be a threat to the Rams long term if the Rams keep doing what they're doing in terms of trying to build – and being bold about it and having a set of cojones to go out there and go for the gold. They need to do as this. As... They need to do this every single year, not just this year. They need to make moves like this every single year. That's that's, you know, that's why the Lakers were so good for so long is because they always did whatever they needed to do to bring in that that player or put a, get together that roster. The Rams are going to have to do that if they're going to own L.A., they're going to have to do that year in and year out. You, you want to know what the Rams and the Lakers have in common? You know, back in the glory days, not right now. Uh, right now, the Lakers aren't worth much of anything right now. Uh, but in the glory days, the Lakers had great coaching. The Rams 
have great coaching. This is this actually means something. And when Derek brought up the point about you know America's team, I don't think that the Cowboys have the caliber of coaching that the Rams do at this point. I, I would agree well, with that. They don't, but they're still the Cowboys, and it won't it won't take it long. It won't, it won't all it takes for the Cowboys to be Super Bowl contenders again. Honestly, is two things: Jerry Jones giving up the general manager powers over there and stop trying to think he's the the god of player personnel, and B them actually getting a head coach who knows what he's doing. I'm not convinced Jason Garrett really knows what he's doing. That's fair statement. Yeah, he, he, needs, to, he needs to move down, uh, step down. You know. Stay in the offensive coordinator or maybe quarterback coach again. And I don't mean that as this mean, horrible criticism, by the way. I just I just believe that it's like North Turner. North Turner is an outstanding offensive coordinator, but he never was quite the head coach. Nope. And some people aren't meant for that. And I don't really believe that Jason Garrett's cut for that. I would agree with that. I mean, some people aren't meant to be beautiful like me. And, you know, I, I'm sorry for that, but that's just the way it is. Norm. Yeah. I'm Magic Johnny. Relax a little. <laughs> I just thought I'd change the tone there since uh, we're getting towards the end of the podcast. All right, well, we have we have one more feature for tonight, folks. I told you this. I, I said on Twitter this is going to be a jam-packed episode, and sure enough, it is. We have for you Rams rookie defensive end from Stephen of Austin, John Franklin Myers on the show. Here's our interview. All right, folks. I am here with. Stephen F. Austin defensive end, now Los Angeles Rams defensive end, John Franklin Myers. John, thanks for coming on with us. It's great to actually meet you. We uh, were a little stunned. We did not, not, we didn't hear too much about your name being mentioned on the, you know, for the Rams. So I guess the first question I want to ask you is, did you know the Rams were interested? Uh, yeah, I had a good idea. Um, I talked, I talked to Chris Johnson at the combine, and I also would on the. Um, big 30 vision to the Rams. So, uh, me and my agent had a good idea, but, you know, you never exactly know with the draft. I mean, it's just kind of stressful, uh, process and you never know. So. Now, you, I was just doing some research on you before the interview and, and I was very surprised to hear that your high school team went 0 and 40 when you were in high school. So, how were you able to, take being a defensive end on an 0-40 high school team, wind up in college, and, and getting yourself known enough to, to to be where you are now? Well, I mean, I always knew I wanted to play in the NFL, so it was never an uh, issue for me. You know, uh, I hate losing. But also, you know, I knew that I could play Division I football. I knew that I could play in the NFL, so that's what drove me to uh, continue to be my best. Going forward, Greenville, Texas. What can you tell us a bit about your what your life was like growing up? What your family life was like, and and really what got you in, into football? I mean, I grew up, started a little bit. Um, I grew up in foster care, California, and I ended up moving to Texas with my grand with my grandfather. Um, and then he passed away, so I moved with my hand and stuff. So you know, growing up was hard, but um, when I moved to Texas, um, I started playing football in seventh grade. I did it for my grandpa, um, you know, just trying to make him proud of me. Um, so that's what made me start playing football. And once I started, you know, I didn't stop. I loved it too much. 
So you said you were originally from California. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was born in California. So I have to ask you, who did you grow up cheering for? I, I wouldn't say I grew up cheering for anybody. I'm a D-line fan. Um, so mostly I, I watched the Giants when they had a good D-line, like a really good D-line, O.C. Mignola and Justin Tug, Matthias Kivikukin. Um, those guys. And naturally, it kind of switched over to the Rams. I mean, lately, just due to the fact they had Michael Brockers and Donald and Rocket playing. Um, so I started liking them a lot. And, and now, even more, see, I'm on the team, and they also have it too. That's that's pretty uh, awesome way to enter the league. <laughs> You're going into one of the, the best defensive lines out there. Oh, the, without a doubt. So, it's always great to ask the guys their draft story. You get taken in the fourth round. Not many of us who were who were blogging about it and writing about podcasting about really saw this one coming. We had a couple other names out there, but that's how it goes. And, and that's part of what makes it special is we don't see how the team really is evaluating players. And I, I don't know if you happen to. No one coming on our show. If you were, if you listened to our show, I was one of the guys. Like I don't know about this John Franklin Myers guy. I don't know about him at all. He's and then we started doing more research on you and found why the Rams like you. What was it like that day getting that phone call saying, "Hey, we want to be a Ram." Uh, I mean, it was exciting, um, and it was. It was exciting for me, but also uh, it motivated me. So I'm around family and friends, and um, you know all they can say is, "Hey, you know, we seem more excited than you are." And, and I'm just like, you know, I haven't I haven't accomplished anything yet. But yeah, you know, it was a fourth round pick, and I'm completely grateful about that. But you know, that's not that's not putting me on the same thing that That's not. You know, I haven't learned anything yet. Um, I haven't got any better yet um, as far as, you know, my technique and stuff, stuff that I'll get to learn when I get there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about being picked, but, I mean, it's not even – it's just the beginning. So, you know, I, I'm excited completely until I'm the best to play, I mean, honestly. Now, you mentioned just now that you – you haven't accomplished anything yet. Well, I would politely disagree because your first year. Uh, well, I mean, my biggest, I guess my biggest goal would be to contribute to the Rams uh, winning the Super Bowl. And I mean, that's that's what I've dreamed of, and, and that's what I've since I started this whole process. What I made my main goal is to contribute to the Super Bowl. Hey, and that's what I plan to do. We not me. <laughs> we not me. That's, now, but what about individually? You know, the, the scouting reports on you show that there's developmental work that needs to be done, and oh, yeah. I, that's kind of that's a fair comment. But I, I think at age twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, even for the best in the league, you should still be trying to develop your game. So, as a rookie coming in the league, mid round pick going to one of the best offensive lines in the league, where do you personally want to get better in your game to help this team make that Super Bowl? Um, I, I would just say 
you know, one in the classroom because, you know, the NFL is a whole different ball game. You know, it's more complex, more times than not. And, um, that, if you don't know what you're doing, you can't play, you can't play as fast as you can. So I would say I want to get that down first. And then, um, you know, uh, me and Coach Johnson talk a lot about power. So I want to become more powerful in my stance. Um, so my stance is a big thing. And last but not least, I mean, I would just say, like, hand usage and uh, working on different pass rush moves because, you know, I have a couple pass rush moves that are my go-to moves that um, maybe some counters off to them and stuff like that, stuff that um, Coach Johnson and also, you know, Darren Donovan, Sue and Michael Parker's community with. And then those guys are also known gym rats. So I'm guessing oh, yeah. you you want to be in there getting pumped. <laughs> oh. I'm expecting to it's see a, yeah, a much – an even more chiseled John Franklin Myers, I'm guessing, is what we're <laughs> going to see. The, yeah, um, yeah, I, I plan on uh, – uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I don't want to know I'm over there doing it too much, but uh, I'm going to be uh, following them pretty good. Now – how also how excited are you to work with Wade Phillips? He's one of the best defensive corners in this league, maybe in league history. How how do you feel about getting to learn from him? Oh yeah, I, I mean I'm really looking forward to that. And, and just just the whole process of, of learning, you know, learning again. Like I, I'm a big learner, so I'm excited to learn from Wade and, and see what, also what he has to say about my game and something and what I can do to help break the defense better. And um, I like hearing different uh, aspects from every coach. That way I can do what I can to help this team, you know, succeed. And that, that's all I'm trying to do is just to help us win the Super Bowl at the end of the day. You mentioned just now more than once really about learning, getting learning, studying film. How much time did you spend studying film in college and help it, how did it help you at that point to develop your game? In college, I... I miss meetings um, a lot due to class conflicts um, my senior year. Um, so I, I spent a good amount of time, but I would say I didn't spend enough. Um, I spent enough to have a good beat on what the offense is doing, you know, what plays are coming in, in personnel groups, um, such like and stuff like that. But I didn't spend enough time on film, and that's what I'm going to work on going forward. That's one of the biggest things that I need to work on. You mentioned your your grandfather, and you mentioned wanting to do a lot of this for him. What did he teach you to a help make you the man you are today? And what did he teach you to motivate you to keep moving forward and becoming better as a human being? Uh, well, well, my grandpa always was like, man, uh, he always made sure that me or my sister didn't quit anything. He was like, man, if you're gonna start it, you're gonna finish it. You know, no matter what. He's like, if you're gonna play. You're going to give it your all, and you're going to be the best you can be. Um, you know, and since, since he established that, and, you know, in my mind, I kind of took a friend like, okay, if I'm going to play this game, you know, I'm not going to stop until I'm the best player ever, you know, and, and that's always been my mindset. And, and I haven't been the best player ever, but I'm still working to be that. Where does the actual work ethic come for you in the game, you talk about learning. You talk about uh, you. You mentioned earlier now just getting in there and, and working with these guys. In terms of work ethic, 
how valuable will it be for you from this point forward? And, and what is your perspective on, you know, the things it will take between now and even camp to get ready for this challenge? Um, for, for the most part, I would just say conditioning, just because, um, you know, you don't want to be behind in that aspect with, with these long fights because you're learning so much, you're going through, you know, different things that we can have to go through. Um, you know, you have to be, I would say, like, long-winded. You know, those days are so long for you, you know, not knowing what to expect, learning everything's getting thrown at you. Long practice, and I'm sure, quick you stay after, you know, and that's what I'll be doing, staying after some gathering, trying to, trying to learn as much as possible. So uh, I would say, you know, just get my stamina up and, you know, also, I mean, get stronger just because, you know, the game has changed. You know, it's changing a lot. And, you know, if you can run all day and you're pretty strong and listening to Coach Johnson, I think, you know, I'd be pretty good after that. Now, you... I plan on listening to Coach Johnson as much as possible to him. You know, whatever he says, hopefully get some extra work with him uh, that... as much as possible. So. That's, uh... That's like the <laughs> that attitude is gonna get you far, man. No joke. That's I'm gonna listen to my coach. We had too many players in the in the league over the years who said I'm not gonna listen to my coach, and they wind up messing up. And uh, it doesn't it doesn't even matter where you came from in terms of if they when they make that call, listen to their coach. It always seems to work out. There is another factor that I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned you were from California. This team moved from St. Louis to California a couple of years ago. The California lifestyle is a bit different, a bit more expensive. There's a lot of distractions and so on and so forth. So, how are you preparing for that? You know, you're you're a young guy. You're you know you're going to go out there. You're going to have a little bit of fun. Who no, there's no doubt in that. So, how are you preparing your mindset for going out there and being totally business and and being successful? Well, I mean, I, I have a good idea of you know of California life, so. Um, I'm not worried about me going out or me partying, and I don't drink also, so, you know, that's never been a problem for me. So um, the biggest thing for me is going into California, coming from Texas, and, you know, you pay Texas rent, you know, you'll find a three-bedroom down here for uh, a three-bedroom apartment for $1,000, and, and then you find a one-bedroom for $2,000, and it's like, you, ooh, you know. So I think, you know, that'll be... <laughs> the hardest part for me, you know, just trying to save as much money as possible. And I've always been like that. Um, so besides that, I mean, I'm not worried about the distractions down there. Like, I'm a football player at the end of the day, you know, that's my job. And, you know, I'm playing on giving 150% and becoming uh, the best I can be. Just one last question I want to get you on your way, and I just thank you so much for coming on. What do you want... Rams fans to know about you above everything else? Uh, I would just say that, uh, you know, a lot of them didn't know me, and, and that's understandable, but, um, you know, those who don't know me, I, I, I'll show them. That's all I can say, you know. Um, there's been some negative comments, you know, when I researched my name and stuff, and I'm seeing a lot of people talk, and, you know, that's all because that motivates me going forward, and all I can say is uh, I'm excited for the opportunity. Well, uh, since 
I was one of the guys on our podcast who expressed some doubts. I do want to say that the the conversation with you, hearing you, how motivated you are, because I, I have no idea if you're going to listen to the show. You'll have time to listen to the show when I put you when I have it air for you. So I want you to hear it from me. I am impressed with how you are focusing on the work ethic of it, the fact that you you believe you know you're being humble. You haven't accomplished anything yet in your point of view. And that's going to carry you far, man. So welcome to this team. I can't wait to see you develop. And I hope we'll be in touch with you again down the line because I think you're going to be – you might just be around for quite a while. Oh, yes, sir. Without a doubt. <laughs> All right. One last thing here. Can you give a, give our our fans here who don't know a way to be able to follow you on social media? Oh, yeah. You can follow me on um, J underscore thirteen. Uh, that's on Instagram or Twitter. Um, so, um, you know, give me a follow and follow around. If you want to follow more, really follow around. All right, folks, you heard it live. Again, John, so much, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. You were a solid interview, and, and I can see where the Rams reacted to you, so outstanding. Yes, sir. Thank you. We're already running over on time here, so I really just want to give some quick feedback on that interview you guys just heard. If you listen to our fourth round podcast and then our recap podcast afterwards, I express a lot of doubts about John Franklin Myers. I'll say it flat out. There are two things that really impressed me about him, and that was just his mature attitude, his humble attitude, in that he hadn't accomplished anything yet. And B, that he wasn't so worried about all of the, you know, the hoopla around getting on the field and practicing. He wanted to be in there doing film. He wanted to work on film. He wanted to get in and get stronger physically as well and the things that he knew he needed to do to be successful in this league. And so it was a refreshing interview with him. He showed me why the Rams took him. And I'm feeling much better about this pick now, understanding where he's coming from and getting into his head a little bit about why he's a Ram. So... It was. I really enjoyed uh, getting in date with him, and I'm hoping again we can get the other rookies on as well. Nice job, Derek. But, All right. So, but you, but you know who did have good feelings on Franklin Myers? All right. <laughs> Here we go. All right. You know what, Norm? Cue the music. There you go. Okay. So he's cue the music now. And before we go, folks, we just want to ask you again. Head over to iTunes, that five-star review. I hope you're enjoying our tour on the league. We just started here. We'll be back again shortly uh, with our next two teams on the show to kind of go through what, what they did in, in the offseason. So I'm hoping you're enjoying our tour on the league, and hopefully we can get some more of these rookies on you, on for you anyways. Follow us, please, on Twitter. Subscribe. Also on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those wonderful outlets we're in. We're here to help cover this team as best possible. And you doing those things helps us do just that. So any closing thoughts, guys? No, it's just fun talking to, uh, talking to those guys, you know, about our, our league games and just kind of getting a different perspective. Uh, it was enlightening. And I, I think, uh, I learned a few things actually. Well, miracles never cease. That's Johnny. True. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> well, I mean, hard to end on that note, but as far as anything's concerned, the NFC West is going to be a, a, an interesting division to watch, and I'm really excited, and damn it, NFL needs to get here already. Too long of an offseason. Only three more months, guys. 
three more months. God, it right. sounds even worse coming from you. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, folks. We'll be with you ASAP on another episode for Norm Hightower and Magic Johnny. This is Derek C. Paul. Peace out. Adios. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.